You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Boss Heart Delivery Podcast. This is episode number 178 of East Central India's favorite podcast. I'm Jeremiah Morrill. Today I'm joined by co-host Dakota Davis and a slew of others. Today's episode features, uh, let's see, there's so many names I need to get them right. (laughs) Georgina Watson from the League of Women Women Voters in Henry County. Georgina, I think uh, your mic's turned off. You might need to flip the switch up on there. There we okay. go. Yep. You're, you're live now, playing with live ammo. We also have uh, Forrest Plank, who is running evening. for Newcastle uh, School Corporation School Board. And we also have Jackie Hadsel. Ah, sweet. Got him right. We are going to be talking with Georgina first about the League of Women Voters, um, specifically in Henry County. Uh, we did some work with them in the past, and she's going to tell us all about uh, how, uh, j- you know, just getting out, voting, why the election is important and uh, what they do to uh, help voter turnout in the area. Then we're going to be talking to Jackie and Forrest about uh, who they are, what makes them unique, why you should vote for them for school board, and what specific ideas they have and uh, what the main issues that they are are looking at for the school corporation. Before the Patreon, I tried to get Forrest to give us his name, rank, and uh, social security number, and he refused, so I'm marking that down. Um, so we do have to say thank you to our patrons. Uh, they just got a nice 15, 20 minute uh, episode, mostly about dogs. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, it was, it was good. We learned a lot of habits. It was a, it was a fun time. But, uh, as always, we do have to thank the, uh, the superstar patrons, uh, Christy Avery, Chris Lamb, Anthony Meyer, and Jonathan Phillips, uh, a Andy Moore, Buick GMC, uh, our favorite over there. Uh, that's right. These the guys, official. Car dealership at Boss Hog and Liberty. Go talk to Jonathan Phillips for all of your car needs. <laughs> I little birdie told me that uh, my mother in law might be heading that way next. That's awesome. She's she's wanting. Uh, I think because she's of got the her show, eyes. He's got like five. I know sales. this has worked out very nicely for him. He, he's uh, Libby's looking at a Cadillac. Wow, I, very she's, nice. She's gonna be high rolling. She yeah. comes from a long line of GM GM people, so she's got to have she's got to have something like that. That's right. Patreon.com slash Boss Hog and Liberty. That's where you can go to sign up to support the show monthly. Those are the folks who pay the bills around this place. That's how we can keep from having to put annoying advertisements sprinkled in between in all of the episodes that you'd have to skip through, and that would just be horrible. You can help keep that going by joining Patreon.com slash Boss Hog Liberty. We also have T-Chip stores. That's where you can get your Boss Hog merchandise tchip.com slash bho one two three or four those are uh one two and three are shirts number four is uh the boss hog protect yourself series which is our face masks and then we also have a boss hog liberty uh coffee mugs i've seen a few of the uh a few of the masks out in public now the gators uh they're pretty cool they're they're the the logo is massive on them i've made it as Big as they'd let me. Oh, it's it's full size. I think Zach, you've seen it now, haven't you? There, it's just yeah, Mr. Mason Rodinghouse. Yeah, Mason's got one. It's huge. 
So get uh, get yourself a mask. All right, Georgina, are you ready? Yes. Ready to have some fun? Hold that mic up nice and close for me. So you're with the League of Women Voters. You, you guys re uh, turn flip it on for me too. If it's not on. Oh, yep. Zach's got it fixed. Now we're good. Um, you're, you're live now. So you guys reformed about two years ago in Henry County. Is that correct? It was formed pretty much for the first time. Uh, and uh, a group came together. And um, I'm not originally from Newcastle. But when I heard about it, I joined in. And uh, you moved to Newcastle to join this organization. That no. is a powerful group. <laughs> no, I lived in Newcastle, but didn't spend a lot of time because I worked outside the county. Okay. Very good. Uh, and I know that we, we partnered with League of Women Voters two years ago for a state Senate debate. Uh, the, the group helped sponsor, sponsor that when we had uh, uh, Dave Cravens, uh, Senator Gaskell, and... Um, and Greg Nolan came on, and that was that was partially sponsored by the League of Women Voters. Uh, tell us about what you guys have been doing this year, and what what's uh, what's coming up in the next twenty four days between now and the election. Well, first of all, I just want to remind everyone that the League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan group, and we don't support candidates nor party. Uh, with COVID, we've run into restrictions like everyone has, so we haven't done the in person voting registration that we usually would although we have uh we did go to second harvest and we did go to god's grain bin and that was of course outdoors and we talked to people as they waited and provided them voting information we have had uh voting tables at all the county libraries with information. In fact, I just switched that out today at those libraries and now we're providing information about being careful online what you how you read it and how you interpret it. So we try to inform. And um so I'm on now to help share voting information. So uh, we're at the point now where we've transitioned from registering folks to vote in Indiana to now we're into the early voting period. You can still register to vote, but it's for the next cycle. So if you go in and say, hey, I want to register to vote, you're not going to be eligible to vote in 2020. It'll be 2022 and beyond. Yeah. In fact, they don't they will not take your registration right now. That's on hold uh, until after the election. And then we can start in for the next upcoming election. Yes. Uh, voter registration. And I hope everyone is registered ended on October the 5th. Early voting started the next day on October the 6th, and it runs all the way up to November the 2nd. And the league of women voters is encouraging everyone to do early voting. So why would you why would you vote early? What if what if I haven't decided on the school board yet yet? I don't know if I want to vote. I don't want to cast my ballot yet. Well, uh, I have a remedy for that. But before we get to why it's important to do early voting, uh, it has to do with the uncertainties that COVID presents, uh, and we don't want long lines. We want safe voting. If And so one of the things we can do is lessen the pressure on November the 3rd. And we are anticipating like pretty much across the nation, a lot of voters coming out to vote. And so also 
early voting fits your schedule a little better. Uh, for instance, when Ivy Tech does open for early voting, uh, in the fir- their first day is October the 24th, uh, you can vote till 7 o'clock Monday through Friday that following week. So they, they run 2 to 7. Well, that's very helpful for people who work. Uh, the courthouse is open first as the vote center, and they run. Are, are they actually voting in the Henry County Courthouse now, or at no, the election set, the election sorry. center across it, the street? Yeah, in Justice in the, Center. Yes, I call it the courthouse, but it's a, it's a Justice. There center. was so much government at one point in Henry County that we had to build a second building next to it to hold <laughs> hold the rest of government. That's what happened. Yes, and uh, for some people. It's difficult to get into the Justice Center because of parking. And so that's one of the reasons uh, our league is pushing Ivy Tech. It's far easier to get into if you have difficulties with parking and walking a long ways. Uh, no metal detectors. It's just an easier experience. Going and that's in the, the other thing. People forget to leave their phone in their car when they go to the Justice Center. It's your second appendage. I'm, you don't want to go in naked. Yeah. And and they end up making two trips then. And it, and it can be aggravating. We don't want to deter anybody from going in to vote. The other thing is we don't know how if what condition the virus will be in or if it's going to increase. And we don't want people to get to the point on November 3rd and decide not to vote because it's too risky. So we, this is a year where you need to do that. You also need to plan ahead. Uh, and so we are providing information about the two early voting sites, which is the Justice Center and Ivy Tech. But we're trying to make sure everyone knows that on Election Day, there are 12 locations they can go to and they can choose any. And we are encouraging them to look at an alternative site. If you go to your favorite place where you usually go and the line is long, is there another one you could go to? Uh, so, those kinds of things need to be thought of ahead of time. So this podcast reaches folks outside of Henry County as well. But what we've done in this county is we've gone to centralized vote centers. Three cycles ago, we had 41 individual polling places, and you had to vote at the, your home polling place, at your at your precinct. Correct. Now in Henry County, you've got 12 essentially identical or mirrored sites where you can show up. If you want to go vote in Knightstown, you can vote in Knightstown or Middletown or Newcastle, whichever site you'd like, and it's good. you're going to get the same ballot no matter which one you show up at. Right. And that's more convenient for the voter, uh, and um, it's a very good thing. So let's talk about the voting part. If I say, okay, I just want to go in and I'm going to check the box, I'm going to vote Democrat, and I'm done. Did I vote in every race? No, you, you are not done. <laughs> uh, the problem with our ballot is if you do that and just straight ticket, then you are not voting for the school board and you're not voting for the county council. Jackie, that was a lot of work for nothing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Tom Tom Saunders tried to fix that for us. Yes, he did. And there was, and we incur the league of women voters supported that. 
so, and I've worked as a poll worker, and it's very confusing, especially for people who are already intimidated by the equipment that they have to use. And so if you vote a straight ticket, some people, I think in the old days, people would do that because they could do it faster, too. You just in and out. Uh, you still, if you vote a straight ticket, have to go through every page. The, every page. So I always recommend don't vote straight ticket. Just go through every page. Don't and make that your selections way, manually. And that way you don't miss anything that you need to vote. The judges as well. Retaining the judges. Yes. That's also another question that will be on there. Yes. Uh, and I, in other years, if they're constitutional amendments or public questions, you would be skipping yeah. over those as well. I think there's four judges that are up yep. for reconsideration. Yes. So I know people may be in a hurry. Uh, but it's far better to look at each office and vote and each um, each thing that's on the ballot. Make sure you cover it all. You've come a long way. This is an important day. Do it right. So if <laughs> folks want to get involved and volunteer with, with your group, if they, uh, I assume they don't have to necessarily be a woman. They don't have to be a woman. We have men in our organization. Uh, and they don't have to join either. They, if they want to volunteer just like during the registration, voter registration, we have a Facebook page, uh, and it's a very good Facebook page for information. We try to keep that up to date with whatever's going on. So it's, uh, the League of Women Voters of Henry County, L-W-V-H-C-O-I-N. Very good. And and if you if you just Google it, if you look at you'll you know search it, you'll find it, and um, it, it's you know a good idea to watch what's happening because things are changing even and, with voting. And one last question that I have for you, and you may have more, but I'll ask this: Is the county completely staffed with poll workers, good to go, no problems, or are they still recruiting? Uh, they're still recruiting. And that's one of the things that, that we are doing also as a league is we're reaching out to especially younger voters. Um, even as young as 16 and 17, they can volunteer. You can vote at 16 now? You guys have worked <laughs> They can be poll workers. Oh, all right. They can't, they, they, and a lot of people don't know that. But if you're 16 or 17, now you have to get permission from your parents and permission from the principal. There's, there's some steps to go through. And if you're interested, go to indianavoters.com. And you will find the information about poll workers, but poll workers are paid $120 a day. Whoever is a poll worker, whether you're in high school or older, you have so, to go through training. So you can get the day out of school and make money. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think school board candidates ought to be running on this platform. Well, and <laughs> with COVID, this is, a, this is a good way to step up and help your community. And, you know, we've left it. Unfortunately, to older people, my age or older, to do be poll workers. We just assume they're going to be there to do it. This is not the year for them to be there to do it. And younger people, 20s, 30s, I know people are working. That makes it difficult. But um, anyone we can encourage that feels safe to do so, to become a poll worker, it's a great experience, and you learn a lot. Producer How Zach, can I count on you? Yeah, I volunteered. I haven't been contacted by anybody, but I contacted the local 
election board and said, hey, I'm interested, and they took my information down. That's one. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I had the day off for my job anyway, so I was like. That's sweet government money, man. You don't have to go to work. Like every time we have, invent an election day, you just get the day off. We're celebrating a guy getting lost on Monday. <laughs> so you're supposed to buy mattresses that day, man. It's it's mattress day. Yeah. So as a government employee, that's like double dipping on election day, isn't it? Yeah, it's like jury duty. You have to give the money back, Zach. You can't steal from us twice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I've never been called. For jury duty. I don't know how it's going to work, but I don't know. I volunteered to do it. My company pays me for jury duty time, but I have to give them the seven dollars or whatever that they're going to give too. me. We get, we I think we get paid time off for jury duty as well. But I, I want to get called for jury duty. It sounds fascinating. I've never been called. I know, just want to sit there and be in judgment way. of people. I was a Rush County resident the one time I got selected, and I got to go down to the courthouse and then uh, waited around for a few hours. And they said, uh, you know what? They settled just before y'all showed up. I want to so. be in a grand jury. Then you get some time. <laughs> yeah. You're on there for like a while. So you can hope for it. Jackie, have you had jury duty yet? Yes, I have. Oh, how did it go? You it can't was... talk about it. It's jury duty. It's after. <laughs> she can write a book now. <laughs> it's interesting. It sure is. You vote to acquit? Uh, the glove didn't fit. I don't remember. Oh, see, she's going. Well, it's I been over recall. 20 years. <laughs> oh. Did they remind you that you determine the facts and the law? That's my favorite part of jury no. duty. You're in charge of everything. Not in some states. Uh, I think it's the same constitution. All right. Did I leave anything out, Georgina? We just want everyone to realize that because uh, a lot more people are voting using an absentee ballot and mail-in voting, the results of the election are not going to be really known in most races. Uh, And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong. In fact, that means things are right. People, they're taking the time that's necessary to do the counting. So there should be no misinformation about when things are delayed. That's to be expected. Election results aren't certified until the county clerk says that they're done. Yep. Right? The first tabulation sheet that you see on election night that everybody reports and gives out is not necessarily the final vote total. Correct. So you may get some results from the county sure. that are not yet certified. Yeah, that's uh, the big concern, especially for like uh, the presidential election, is that on election night we could have a different winner than what we have in the next week. I know in two thousand you were four years old, but everybody else in this room has lived through that nightmare yeah. once. That's why yeah. the Supreme Court thing may or may not become and important. The other, <laughs> the other thing I'd like to add is uh, there's been a lot of misinformation about voting by mail or absentee ballot. Oh, I got like seven ballots in the mail. It's great. Yeah, well, I would I would be surprised if that's the case. Um, so, Vote early until they make you quit. That's yeah. what... No, it is safe. There is there's no evidence that there is voter fraud or it's misuse. Uh, it's an old method of voting since the Civil War. It started the first time when, when the soldiers voted by absentee ballot. And it's unfortunate when people are concerned for their health that they're being deterred or frightened or shamed because they, they want to, you know, be safe and use an absentee ballot. It is safe. They can request that ballot until, uh, excuse me, they have to apply for an application in Indiana. There is, we did not get passed, and I say we because the League of Women voted, uh, work for a no-excuse 
uh, absentee ballot like we had in the primary, but that fell through yesterday, in fact. There's about 10 acceptable excuses to get an absentee ballot, which is different than voting early, right? They're different conversations. Right. They are different, but they're important to decide. That's why people need to make a plan. Are they going to vote absentee ballot or in person? If they're going to vote absentee ballot, they need to apply for that, and it needs to be in by October the 21st. I would say it needs to be in today, as soon as you can get it in. And when the ballot is returned, it has to be at the voter registration office on November 3rd at noon. It can't be postmarked. The postmark doesn't matter. It has to be at the office. So we're suggesting that people after October the 24th, if you still have your ballot, take it to the Justice Center and hand it in. That way you're sure it gets counted. So, but it is safe. The, it, the state has in place ways to monitor your ballot. You can, you can even watch and know when it has been counted. Now, if we go back just a second, I, I made a joke about having received seven ballots. Yes. You don't necessarily receive a ballot in the mail, but you will see campaigns send an application for a ballot in direct mail. So at times you will see the same application that, that you would use to apply. Folks have in the past mailed those to voters. Our state does not send out applications. The state doesn't, but you've, I, I know that there's an official form that you have seen candidates yes. supply in the past. So those can appear... They, the procedure that's in place is that you have to request that uh, application from the clerk, or you can go online to indianavoters.com, and there you can download the application and complete it, or the easiest way is complete it right online. And in fact, that helps the clerk. Uh, they're handling a lot of paper right now, and anything we can do to help the clerk's office would be great. Very good. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Exciting. I think I'm going to vote this year, Dakota. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to keep up my string. I haven't missed right. yet. I think I might sit this one out. <laughs> I'll punch you. <laughs> I'm going to threaten, threaten physical violence. All right. So let's turn our attention to the, uh, to the two school board candidates that are with us. Uh, Jackie Hatzel sitting on my left. Sweet signs, by the way. If you're watching on the live stream, you've got the, the, the signs to help you keep track of who's who. On my right is Forrest Plank. Uh, they're both returning candidates. Two years ago, they each ran for the Newcastle Community School Board. Uh, there was one open seat in the living inside the city limits district is what, what this right. is called. This time, there are two seats uh, and five candidates. So you are two of the five Uh Next week's show, I know at least two of the candidates are expected to come on. We're still working on the third. Uh, so we're trying to begin our candidate series with this. Uh, this is a nonpartisan race. Uh, so school board races in Indiana, you don't have a political affiliation. We discussed that uh, when we were talking about the, the voting and the importance of not doing straight ticket voting uh, because this race is nonpartisan. Um, but obviously a very important race. Anybody, I, you'll have to help me with this portion of it. It. If you go to Indiana Voters, you can pull your sample ballot and you'll see who's on your uh, potential ballot or who your school board candidates are. I know that you're each on my board, but I don't live in city limits. So I assume that it's anybody 
in Newcastle Community School Corporation that gets to vote in your race? That's correct. Everyone within the corporation boundaries gets to vote for the at-large seats and the inside seats, and if there's an outside seat. Okay. And this time, there are two school board seats here, and then there's an additional race as well. Is that right? There's one at-large seat that's uncontested. Okay. Very good. Y'all just decided to pile on on the inside. Seems to be the case. At-large just seemed too hard. Is there any strategy in this? I'm I'm curious. Just as a a general rule is deciding, are you like, no, I'm just going to run for school board, and this is where I'm going to go? Well, uh, presently, Nan Polk is the at-large, and she's done a superb job for eight years. So you're just happy with Nan? Yes. Sweet signs, lovely lady, leads the League of Women Voters, not tackling that one. So we're going to go after the, this is, this is the race that you, the the seat that you guys are interested in. Um, Let's start with just a little bit of bio with you, Jackie. Tell us about yourself um, and then, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Greensburg, Indiana, which is down Decatur, uh, tree in the courthouse, if you know that. I heard you guys have to keep replacing that tree. Well, well, they do. I guess you're you're one yeah. of us now. I'm a Henry County person now. <laughs> have been for a while. Uh, graduated from Greensburg High School, went on to Ball State, became an area music major. Uh, I got my first opportunity to interview for my very first job uh, one night in the field house here. And Bob Shaver hired me, and I became the choir director for about eight years. And my family came along, and that's a very demanding uh, job as far as uh, being a music teacher and having a a young family. So uh, a student told me that I was a pretty good listener and that I was easy to talk to. So they recommended that I look into being a guidance counselor. So I became a guidance counselor, went over to a neighboring school system where that's where I met Georgina many years ago. And I uh, was a guidance counselor at Hagerstown Junior Senior High School. Uh, then I was asked to come back in 1999 uh, when there was some turmoil going on uh, at the middle school, junior high then, Parkview Junior High. And uh, I did not have my administrative license then, but I soon completed it. So I became the uh, assistant principal for seven years, and that can be a tough role because you're no one's friend. Uh, but then I became the principal, and I was that for 10 years. Once you become principal, everybody's your friend. But as a principal well, assistant, it's, no, no. <laughs> there's just no friends. Yeah. I did watch Vice Principals so I, on HBO, so I've got a little bit of a feeling of how so, it works. So then uh, in uh, 2017, I retired from being principal at Newcastle Middle School. And uh, at that point, I became, uh, um, I worked for the Indiana Association of School Principals, and I also have filled in various uh, maternity leaves, either in counseling or or classrooms or things like that. Um, Presently, I am uh, working at Eastwood, uh, covering a leave, and uh, hopefully we'll complete that in December. After the election, hopefully I'll be sworn in. There we go. But I ended my career where I started it uh, in the field house. So I felt very blessed with what Newcastle has offered me and my family. I've got two girls. 
uh, that have grown up through the Newcastle schools. One is owns her own company. The other one is a education historical uh, programmer in Bloomington. My husband works at Draper, and uh, we've had a very good life here in Newcastle. Very good. Forrest, what can you tell us about yourself? I'm not from Newcastle originally either. All right. Uh, born and raised in Knightstown, graduate of Knightstown High School. Uh, work took me outside of Henry County uh, for a few years. Went from Greenfield, spent some time in Cleveland, some time in Fort Wayne. Uh, eventually settled back uh, in Henry County in 2017. So after high school, I attended Indiana Wesleyan University, got a bachelor's degree in accounting as well as an MBA. I've worked in supply chain for the last 15 years, currently with Crown Equipment here in town as their materials manager. Uh, prior to that, had international supply chain experience with a few different Fortune 500 companies around the area. Uh, married my wife, Kelly. She is uh, an administrator, middle school principal at Northeastern Wayne Schools. Uh, she's been a classroom teacher, uh, middle school English, principal at an elementary, so I've been on the other side of the spectrum in terms of uh, seeing the, the toll that, that education takes uh, on the teachers and administrators. And, and you know, it really is it, the involvement in the school that, that got me passionate about education. Don't move. Just stay, stay where you are. I'm just going to help you Sorry. just slightly. You're fine. There, is that better? Yep, it's better. All right. So um, my wife's first teaching gig was with Southern Wells Schools up in Wells County. little small farm school, kind of like Try High. Uh, no community other than the people. And when you walk into that school, it doesn't matter if you're an employee or a family member of an employee, you're a worker at the school, and, and you wear one of 17 hats uh, depending on the day you walk in. And, and it's really that involvement that, that I realize it does take a village to run a school. Um, it goes well beyond the, the teachers in the classroom, the administrators in the building, uh, the food service employees, custodians, grounds, you name it. Uh, it, it takes the entire community, and, and it, it's that the involvement and seeing the success of that community involvement that really drove me to, to get involved once we moved to Newcastle. So for each of you, it, this is this is an educational opportunity for us as the host and to, and to the listeners. You're asking to be a part of the school board. Uh, tell us about the role that you see yourself playing on the school board, what you think you, you get to your – it's a statutory position created by the state – uh, but as a member of that board, what do you think you are responsible for? Uh, so, so really, I, I see it as three or four key items. The first one is the, the recruitment and evaluation of a superintendent. Uh, that's really the only job that you should be involved with the hiring of. Uh, the second is developing and administering the policies to support either state or federal educational guidelines. Uh, third is making sure there's a budget in place and adhering to that budget. And then the fourth, the, the underlying one, is um, following through with the recommendations of the superintendent. So uh, although you're not involved in the direct hiring, the approval of the hires that the superintendent recommends, uh, the approval of various curriculum decisions that the superintendent recommends. Very good. And Jackie? Sounds great. Uh, those, those were my four, too, because that basically goes straight from the Indiana School Board Association. Uh, school board members are not supposed to be involved in hiring, and, and we are dealing with policies, and policies that deal with the children, the policies that deal with uh, the teachers uh, and curriculum. We've just got 
um, a lot of things on the plate that um, we need to stay focused on that. So yeah, you would agree with like what Forrest was saying. There's those those four key things that the school board focuses on, and you're saying focus on those things and and make them right. Yes, I think that's contrary to popular belief. You know, a lot of people think that we're running for school board because we want to get someone fired or we want to get someone hired. And I know for myself a, and for Jackie that that's not further from the truth. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of um, bad education, I guess, on on what the school board actually does. Sure. I don't think there's a lot of people who, who know. what it, It's, it's kind of like the county council. You talk to uh, some average person, you ask them what the county council does, and they, they think it's like the city council where they're legislating. Um, there's So there's just a, not a, I guess, just very simply, like I said, there's not a whole lot of people that know what your role is, hopefully. Uh, I think you summed it up really well there because I was like, I, as we were, as I was writing the notes for the show today, I'm, I was like, is there anything that I'm missing? Like, I know, I think I know. But so I'm like digging through the state's website about uh, on the Department of Education. I'm like, okay, well, that's really it. That's that's what they do. <laughs> Policy making, not yeah. administrative. So what uh, what do you think Newcastle does really well? We'll start there before we start getting into issues or, or opportunities. We might call them. What's what's Newcastle School Corporation doing well at this time? So I think there's a lot of things they do really well. Uh, first is some of the educational offerings. Uh, Career readiness. You look at their career center. I think there's 18 vocational programs uh, that that students can can choose, and the other schools in the county, and not just within Henry County, uh, some of the adjoining counties uh, get the benefits of their career center as well. Uh, so the career readiness, uh, the availability of programs. Forest is for whatever reason you are like the absolute nightmare for miking up, and I can't figure out why. <laughs> You, you don't move. You're just you're just a lovely guy, but you are a nightmare. <laughs> you I think close, you take I know away. what's happening. In, well, this is just inside baseball. I think you're turned slightly, and I don't have the mic right in your face, so you're talking across it. Is what's happening? Try again. You just you just go, and I'll 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 just pretend like I'm I'm Mr. Boom Mike over here. You're throwing me a curveball here. That's okay. <laughs> Good. I I don't know. We'll see. We'll know in a minute. All right. So uh, the, the educational offerings, aside from the career readiness, um, a lot of advanced dual credit options that save families tens of thousands of dollars in tuition costs once kids graduate high school and they're into college. Uh, the extracurriculars that are offered, uh, I think there's more than 50 clubs offered throughout the school. Um, the student leadership opportunities between renaissance, peer, class officers, student government, things of that nature. Uh, and then, obviously, Newcastle has some really good athletic programs as well. Very good. And music programs as well, too. Fine arts. Yes. Good plug. Yeah. Absolutely. So what, from your side, is there anything else that we left out other than the, the fine arts and music? Um, no, I think that I, I want to tag on with uh, Forrest about the Career Center. Um it is probably one of the most recognized programs in the state of Indiana. And for us to tout that, 
uh, that is a real feather in our cap. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Uh, Chris Lamb, who's also yes. running for school board, he will be on Tuesday's show. Uh, he, we had him on whenever he was still the director of the school board mm-hmm. uh, because I went through building trades for two years, and it's just as I have uh, you know, changed careers and gone in different areas and watched my friends all graduate college, and it's like it, it just is a – a real, it's, the the older I get, the more valuable I realize having the career center was oh, yes. in Newcastle. Oh, yes. It's a big deal. You know, because, um, for example, I had a student had thought he wanted to be a doctor, and he got in involved in the career center and realized, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do that. And then was able to switch for his senior year and found something exceptional that he wanted to do. Gives them early exposure, like no risk exposure, essentially. With our, our uh, vet program, they're able to get more direct line into the Purdue vet program. Uh, And that's something that if you don't have that experience ahead of time, you don't get in. So I was going, I planned on going to, to college to study, to study psychology and then I did building trades because I thought, well, they'd just be good to learn life skills. Right. And then I was like, <laughs> I really like this. <laughs> and, and those life skills are spot on. So um, my day job at Crown Equipment, we typically have three to four interns a year coming out of the machine trades class that, that come yeah, in and work yeah. in the plant. And for the guys out on the shop floor, it is about the life skills. That There's much more to learn in the CNC program and, and how to run the various types of machines, as it is learning what it's like in the real working world. So teaching them about the benefits that come along with the job, the 401K, the health insurance, saving your earnings, things of that nature. And, you know, a role like that is enabling some of these kids to sign on as soon as they come out of high school, making a very good wage at 18 years old. Yep. And and then you also mentioned... uh the the arts department and so like um which i think is i think it's really good we've seen in other areas um not just specifically in indiana but across the country where different schools and different corporations have had to cut like increasingly cut um all of their arts programs right it's just being whittled away as something that's not important but also speaking as a band kid myself um i i loved band Mm i i absolutely loved it i played uh, a ton of different instruments because it was something different and i feel like my whole entire education benefited from the fact that i was also learning that one other thing that wasn't just the, the monotony of sitting at a desk doing schoolwork and those are the things that for many students Hold them into school, you know. For, for sure. some kids, it's athletics. Some kids, it's band or choir. For some kids, it's is getting all the AP classes that they can ahead of time, so that they can save down the road for their parents. You know, we had, I believe, about twenty students last year get an associate's degree before they even got their high school diploma, and that's amazing. You know, so there's a lot of things that are happening. That are going well here in Newcastle. 
So there's something that's triggering you to say, hey, I want to run for school board. There's, there's, you have to see a need or an, a, a reason why you need some changes need to be made. Right. What can you speak to on that side, Jackie? Okay. Uh, there are two main reasons, and, and I can't say that one's higher than the other. One of them is, is making sure that the education is still being followed in the best practices. You know, with this pandemic that we've had, uh, many students have stayed at home for a while. That's not been the most beneficial thing for all students. Uh, so we need to look at those policies and look at those programs and follow through to see what is working and what is not. For some students that are maybe have school phobia, this has been great. But the other students that just want to stay at home thinking that it was going to be like last spring's e-learning, the virtual academy has been very demanding, and then that's made it pretty tough. I've seen a lot of of students come back where I'm at right now at Eastwood. The virtual academy is not the same as the e-learning was over at the end of last year. By no means. By no means. And, um, you know, that we need to make sure that we have strength strength um, with that learning. Uh, the other thing is safety. Um, you know, a big thing is that several years ago, before the pandemic, we were having all kind of violence around the country with school visitors uh, or shootings and things like that. And, and back in 2016, Newcastle jumped on board. They wanted to get all of our uh, entrances double safe, double locked doors. Uh, and, um, you know, they took care of the high school. Uh, they took care when they were renovating that uh, previously. The middle school is going through it now. And I can't wait to see that as being a former principal there. And then they went to Westwood and Riley and uh, Wilbur Wright. And then it stopped. So we still have more elementary schools. Yes, we do. We have Eastwood and Parker and Sunnyside. Uh, and Sunnyside is is kind of an up-in-the-air building right now anyway, trying to figure out how they're going to continue programming in that building. But Eastwood and Parker, and those are probably our two largest elementary schools, do not have double-safe door locks. And two of our most economically diverse. Yes, Yes. And, you know, um, I think we need to follow through on that. There's been some drawings. Uh, they've looked at a couple different ways of addressing the issues. Um, and, and I, I just think they really need to listen to the administrators of that building so that they get what they want and what they see that will be workable for 20 years because we won't get, you know, we don't get that kind of money every year. You don't get that, that second crack at the apple to do this no, a, a different way. No, not at all. How about for you, Forrest? What, what's, uh, what's motivated you? What are the opportunities? So since she was just speaking of security, I'll, I'll talk to that one first. So I think it was January, February, 2019, the school signed uh, a continuing general obligation bond uh, to set aside money to pay for the secure entrances 
at both Parker Elementary and Eastwood Elementary. Same time, they talked about funding for a high school weight room. So the board's defense is that they have money earmarked for the secure entrances, but the fact of the matter is here we are nearly two years later, and we don't have secure entrances yet at those two elementaries, but we have a nice, beautiful weight room. And the weight room is it's phenomenal. Uh, I think it's a nice addition to the field house. But I don't think that decision was made. The weight in the, room could also add to security. If you look at <laughs> if you look at the school documentation, you it, the, it was marked as a safety and security improvement. Wow, okay. which which I would disagree with, and I disagreed yeah, with at the board joke. meeting when they discussed yeah. it. Dakota expects the kids to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, we grow up tough at trying. <laughs> county schools, <laughs> yeah. But but the fact of the matter is is. It was prioritized, and it wasn't made to be the top priority because when they bid out the two jobs for the elementaries, the bids came in higher than they anticipated, and that wouldn't have left enough money for the weight room. So mm-hmm. here we are. We have a weight room, but you can get buzzed into either one of those elementaries and have free reign of the building. They expect that in the good nature of your heart when they buzz you in, you're going to walk in, so cross what, 20 feet into the office, and check in. What is the difference between the the, the secure doors versus the the door where you, you have to physically be buzzed in? Okay. So, like at the high school, you walk up to an exterior door, they have to buzz you in. All you do is you go into a corridor where you have human interaction with someone to understand why you're at the school, oh, okay. what needs do you gotcha. have, you're and not, the rest of the school is then locked off to you. Yeah, you are not. You don't have to walk into the school to talk to the, the receptionist. Right. Okay. If you've ever been in any of the elementary schools, they were not designed with any kind of security in mind. Most of them, they put, like the school I went to, Riley, the office is in the middle of the school. Right. So you literally walked past three or four classrooms before you ever got to the office mm, yeah, and the office didn't have any line of sight on the doors. Parker's a little better. They can see the door, but you have to walk across like a lobby to get to the office. Unfortunately, so like, it was a different world. Then. Yeah. The high school you used to be like that when I started, they renovated while I was there. And now to go into the high school, you have to walk through the office essentially to get into the school. So that's, that's what they're trying to, and okay. I, can't, I can't imagine the middle school, would be if you look at it today from what it was when I was is a nightmare security wise because they were just the whole front of the building is doors yeah. and you could walk in there and never see the office so so that's what I'm assuming that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to corridor people so the office yeah, you sense. have to go through the office before you can get in the building who is right. the person that you're talking to inside these entrances is it a, is it an SRO who, who is it so at the at the high school it's just clerical receptionist. Position. Okay. All right. Just someone that can uh, let you in the building. Right. Yeah. Right. You're essentially in an airlock in yes. a secure door yes. situation. Yep. You 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 can you can't go beyond unless you get a second confirmation. Right. And, and, and a valid reason to be there. And I think for the two elementaries, there were three different drawings uh, shown. Uh, the administrators at those buildings evaluated the drawings. Uh, I know that they went over to Richmond Community Schools took a look at a very similar building to see what that would look like and still haven't done anything. So that's pretty frustrating to see. Okay. Uh, secondly, uh, along the education front, it's, it does have to be a student focused effort. Um, you know, as a board, you can't be making decisions based upon what 
you particularly want. It's what's in the best interest and the needs of the kids. And I think we've gotten away from that. Um, you know, Jackie mentioned the challenges of the virtual education. Uh, I, I think statistics show that virtual learners have a graduation rate of 19 to 20 percent versus Newcastle's most recent graduation rate was 95 to 96 percent. So that in itself shows the effectiveness or ineffectiveness of virtual learning. And I think with COVID, it's kind of become a crutch where it's, it's easy to do. And it's so easy that I don't know that we're encouraging our students to be in a classroom enough. So it, it, it feels to me like, you know, from, February until May, it was a triage mode to use that to complete the school year. Sure. Right. And because it, it happens so quickly. Right. And the drop of the dime. And, and it's not like there's a playbook that you can open and say, oh, pandemic, how do yeah. we educationally respond? And so now we've had the summer to gear up to this and it, the feeling I'm getting, and I'm not, I don't have kids in the school at this point in my life. So I'm, I, this is very educational for me. I'm hearing that uh, we're not necessarily encouraging folks to be present and in the buildings as much as they should be or could be? Um, I would say it it really depends. Uh, You know, I know that administrators are reaching out when they see that a child is just uh, noncompliant, not working, not doing anything. We're at the end of the first quarter uh, now. And uh, I, I know at least three elementary and, and more probably more all of them uh have been reaching out to students saying okay this didn't work the first quarter you've got you need to come back you know and and you know they're trying to put some teeth into it but you know in encouraging and forcing you know it's like mandating mass around the country it's, it's very difficult to police Catch more flies with honey sometimes, right? It's a matter of the approach and how effective you are. You know, ultimately families are faced with a tough decision that they have to make the the decision that's best for their own home life. Um, You know, if they have extenuating circumstances that they may want to protect their child more, I I totally get why they're they're choosing to keep their their child home in, in the virtual environment. But I think there's so many other social and emotional effects that we will see as a result of this that I don't know that we're prepared yeah. for it. I mean, look at Jeremiah. He was homeschooled, so. I'm a sixth grade dropout, buddy. <laughs> Case study set in between only, us, Jackie. Only, <laughs> only went on to two college degrees. I don't know how I'll survive. <laughs> All right. So. Are you using uh, college degrees as an indicator of a person's success? No. No, I just, I, I mean, I own a laptop, so I feel like I'm making it. <laughs> it's like a 10-year-old model, but I, you know, it's functional. I can host a, 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 a the highest rated podcast in East Central Indiana. With with the the discussion of COVID nineteen, um, how do you guys think that the pandemic has been handled by uh, the the school corporation? Uh, I think for the most part, I think the teachers have worked extremely uh, hard to make to follow the guidelines that the corporation and the pandemic committee created. Um, and following the state guidelines, um, I think it's it's been tough on the teachers because um, they are teaching to a whole new normal now. Uh, 
back when I was in school, it was normal, straight rows and everybody's in line and no one left their seats. And now, you know, elementary schools or even in middle school and high school, they would sit in pods and and encourage Hmm. discussion and problem solving and things like that. They really can't do that anymore. And so those skills are going to be lost. And, you know, I'm just fearful of the gaps that the pandemic has created for our kids. And and we're not going to see the effects of that or know the effects of that for years. Probably five, six years. Yeah, and it's it's all a matter of time, right? How long it goes on. If this is a, you know, if this is another six months, that's one thing. If this is, if it's a four year long process, then that's another, that's a totally different conversation. Speaking of things that are sweeping the nation. Uh, the Red for Ed movement was a big, really big deal here in Indiana. Um, we had a, a special Red for Ed episode, actually hosted a debate on the topic. Um, I want to know if you guys, uh, each specifically, were you 100% behind the Red for Ed movement whenever they were in the throes? Um, were you wearing your red t-shirts all the time? Um, also, uh is there any kind of a plan that you can think of in your mind for uh, increased teacher pay? So I, I'm a hundred percent behind the red for head movement. I, I can't say that I was wearing a red t-shirt all the time. <laughs> I wish I could wear a t-shirt all the time, but I don't own that many red t-shirts. Uh, but we were selling them. them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, <laughs> but the, the whole initiative it's behind the gap in teacher pay that we have. And specifically in Indiana, um, I, I think Indiana ranks, 38th in the country, the most recent numbers from the National Education Association in teacher pay. And, you know, meanwhile, it's 53% of the state budget in education, public education, not going to teachers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But, you know, teaching jobs aren't going away. Well, it's not going to vestibules either, apparently. Can't get one. No, it's not. We have some fancy sports stadiums around the state, though. We do love basketball. We do. And it, it's not a dig on sports at all, um, but maybe some misprioritization. But, you know, back to the Red for Ed movement, the the power of all the teachers and educators showing up at the state house, I think was phenomenal. Um, I think two of their three main priorities ended up getting passed through legislation this year. So that was hold, great. Hold harmless on testing was, hold, was one. Yep. For two years. All right. Um, it, it's not a permanent thing. It, it's just two years. Uh, but, Really, the state still didn't do anything about moving the the needle on teacher pay, and I I, th- I think the the number that the Indiana State Teachers Association is going for is an average of sixty one thousand dollars a year, an average. And for reference, Newcastle's starting pay uh, with their most recent salary increases as of last year is thirty eight thousand, hmm. with a top pay of sixty eight. And the State Teachers How long Association do you have to work to get to sixty eight. A long time. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if teachers entering the field now would ever make it to 68 with the pay structures that are in place. Okay. So you you asked the question about how do you increase that? And and at a local level, you don't have a lot of options. Um, A lot of it is legislature driven into how much money the schools can collect. Uh, So how do we influence it locally? We have student enrollment to drive it up or changing your, your operation funding, um, you know, the, 
the school corporation likes to tout that our student to teacher ratio is the best in the county. I think it's like 13 and a half students per teacher at the state level. It's 17. Well, do we, or do we have some efficiency loss there? That's costing us money that could be going to our teachers. Yeah. Um, enrollment. Not, sorry. So from an enrollment standpoint, once the state opened the borders a few years ago to where students can essentially go to any school they want to, we lose 400 students who live in the district to other schools, whether it be an online type charter school or a neighboring school. We're only getting 200 students from outside the district in. So at roughly $7,000 per student coming from the state, that's $1.4 million in operating money that we're losing every year just because of students having a choice to go somewhere besides Newcastle. So, you know, if we can market to to increase the the enrollment at Newcastle, work with the the EDC to to bring more jobs to Newcastle, work with the Chamber of Commerce to bring more jobs to people, or to bring more jobs to Newcastle, that gets people in the community. It gets younger people in the community. It it uh, increases our birth rate, which is declining in the area, which then ultimately in, increases the enrollment, increases the funding. The funding then leads to more money you have to pay and provide for the teachers. So you talked about some of the costs that are there, and, I, and Jackie, you mentioned that we have an elementary school that the future of it is in question. Is that a part of the conversation as to, hey, what we have to deliver education to the people in the corporation, but how do we use the buildings that are there and the facilities we have most efficiently? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, that's always a kind of a slippery slope with uh, public school buildings because if uh, – Someone wants to come in. If we would close the building, they could come in and purchase it at a ridiculously low rate of usually $1. Someone as in a charter school. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, I've, I've been involved with some charter schools in my time, too. And they receive some um, absolutely um, large amount of monies. When it comes to various things, but I think that uh, with um, the Sunnyside uh, issue, I think right now they're working to see what the change is going to happen to that Sunnyside area. Uh, hopefully with new uh, employment coming into the community, you know, there are beginning homes there. So they're hoping that that will grow. Uh, but like, like, uh, it was discussed along on the long-term planning committee that Forrest and I both sat on for many months and worked on. And, uh, they made some decisions with that to hold on to it, keep using it for the time being. Um, now what the future may bring in the next two years, four years, that is yet to be seen. So part of the renovations of the middle school, if you're not aware, is to bring the sixth grade classes into the middle school. So presently it's seventh and eighth grade. In the future, once that renovation is complete, we'll have sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, thus freeing up a grade from every elementary building that we have, with the exception of Sunnyside, since it's only going up to fourth grade right now. So that will then change the landscape of each of our elementary buildings uh, from a capacity standpoint. And, and the hope is that we can extend the, the pre-K programs into each of these elementaries because the, the pre-K programs, whether it's people from out of district or people within district, 
get their child in the building as early as they possibly can and that they'll stay and that'll help drive up our enrollment. Now, hmm. if, if you open up a pre-K program, do they get the $7,000 that the state would provide for somebody that's in kindergarten or is it a, you have to charge a rate and then at that point they're in the system and then they carry on? The state funding is different on the <clears throat> pre-K and K level. So that's also kind of a rocky rockiness of where, how much funding is coming through. Uh, I'm not sure what what is being done at Parker's pre-K right now. Uh, they experimented with it uh, starting last January, and then, of course, March 13th, it all closed. So, The moving target. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I hope this is the only election cycle in, in my lifetime that we have to deal with a, a pandemic. This yes. is beyond anything that anybody was prepared for, and we're all... It, I don't want to say we're making it up as we're going along, but we're doing the very best we can as we go along, trying to trying to make it all work. Every day it's something new. You asked about the school's preparations for it. I think they've done a phenomenal job with the playbook they have at hand, which is a blank sheet. Nobody knows what the right decision is, and it changes from day to day, even hour to hour at times. So, you know, I have to commend the the school for for the program that they've put in place, and they've stuck to it. Uh, if you look at well, Indianapolis schools are just now returning students to physically being in the building. So nine weeks behind that, they've been at home, and, and you know it's sad, but we don't know what the home lives are like for some of these students. That school is their hope in life, that, that they can get away. It's their escape, and that's been taken from them, and, and that's so unfortunate. And because of my work with the Principals Association, I've been involved with different corporations around and visiting some just as recently as yesterday, they are changing yet again. So it's a daily, daily thing, and some corporations have changed. And that doesn't give students the stability they need. They need stability. And I think for the most part, Newcastle's doing very well with that. There's some areas that we just need to bump up with it. So we, back uh, whenever we did our debate on the Red for Ed issue, we had uh, Rob Kendall from uh, 93.1 WIBC who was anti-Red for Ed. And then we had uh, Alicia. Uh, Alicia Hayes. and uh, Yeah, Chriswell. Uh, yep. Not Hayes. Uh, we had Alicia come on, and she's a teacher. She's at the State House. And uh, they just kind of talked through their differences, had a discussion about it. One thing that they had a big agreement on was get the the state out of the classrooms of standardized testings and let teachers do their jobs. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that the role of, the, of a school board member is to carry out the state's, the, the obligations that the state has for education. One of those things right now is standardized testing. So it's not like you can get elected and say, We're, you guys don't have to take tests anymore. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, you could try it. it would, yeah. It'd be an experiment. <laughs> I don't think it'd work too well. Yeah. You'd lose federal funding. <laughs> but it, is that something that you would, I mean, we are fortunate enough here with um, Tom Saunders. Tom came on this show a few times and we talked to him a multitude of times about straight ticket voting. And then the next legislative session comes up, and lo and behold, Tom Saunders introduces a bill to end straight ticket voting in the state of Indiana. 
we have a representative who really listens to people here. And um, I, so I have to wonder if you sat down with Tom, if, if a school board member sits down with Tom and talks to him about it, if, if that's something you would be willing to do, is that, do you think that's the right course or? I think that's a starting place. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, he has been very pro uh, education in the past. And so I think that uh, sitting down with him uh, would be a good thing uh, to see the, uh, the, the lobbyist at the state house throughout my time in education um, through the principals association. I've learned a lot through that. And I think that uh, we can't just uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, though I hate standardized testing, we do need to make sure there's some accountability. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, the accountability is not just on teachers. It has to be on uh, the the students, the parents, making sure that everything is being taught as it needs to be. And I think that, um, you know, there are, are lots of different ways of getting a standardized score and tracking students' individual progress. Here at Newcastle, we do a lot of progress monitoring. We do a lot of testing periodically throughout the year. So it's not such a high-stakes test. Other corporations use NWEA or Acuity and, and all these different other tests. So, you know, I think that if the state, federal government could pull back a little bit. Um, let let you guys, in, in your role as school board members, make the decisions as to whether or not we're succeeding or not and not have to have the state make that determination for you? Well, that would be great, uh, but I think there needs to be some sort of a um, commonality throughout the state because it's dealing with federal monies and state monies too. There has to be some type of measuring stick. Yeah. Uh, But I don't don't know that standardized tests are the answer. Effectively, we're teaching our kids to take a test instead of teaching them the knowledge and the skills that they need to be productive members of society. Um, you know, you talked about the, the growth and proficiency tests that they take to see are they growing in, in the various areas. Those are administered three times a year. So you take those three times a year plus the state standardized test. That's four standardized tests that a student's taking a year. And, and the kids understand the pressure of these, of, of these tests, that the stress that they feel because they know the potential effect on their teacher. Mm-hmm. It gets them ready for their future in uh, in business, where they have to take sit through the same stupid conference call every week, and the same you know, you're just getting conditioned for for the junk that's coming your way, Forrest. You but know, I- before though, before that, <laughs> before I retired, uh, Jerry Walden was in charge of testing at the high school for many many years, and he did a great job. But his frustration was growing and growing because he ended up he counted the number of days. Out of 180 days, he had 73 days of testing going on. Wow. And that's not teaching. It's hard that's, to learn anything. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I, mm. I, I don't know about everyone else, but here I've been out of school for 20-some years, and I just took my first big exam 
than the last month that I've taken since school. So, you know, I don't need to know how to take a test. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I still have, I, I could fill, still fill in a couple of circles if I had to. Be all right. We should all just take the SAT for fun and see how we do. I think oh, that'd be that, awful. <laughs> one thing that I think about the standardized testing is I think, I, I think that it creates a whole generation of bad test takers. Because like you were saying, with the stress that's associated mm-hmm. with the standardized testing, it's just, it gets hardwired into you that it's, it's, the test isn't just stressful for you, but it's also stressful for the people that your test scores will impact. Mm-hmm. So then it, I mean, There's the a- reason you have a bad test taker now is because of the, the stress that they have from the test. Now you have people that might not have been stressed before that are, I, I don't know. I just, there's you know, a lot of anxiety. A, a, a lot of anxiety. Problem. I had students in middle school that were in honors classes. So bright kids, really bright kids. One girl broke down and cried because she couldn't, could not finish the writing sample in the time. I was going to say, you could just be labeling kids who just aren't great test takers. Yeah. And that's just their, cause some kids are, I was a good test taker in school. Like you give me a test. I'll do pretty well on it, and I'll probably be like one of the first people done because I don't have that anxiety when I go and do a mm-hmm. test. I'm like, I know this or I don't know this. And you can have a kid that's his only thing, but if you give him like some, he's like in building trades. You put a piece of paper in some for somebody, it might not be great, but give him something to do, something to build, and they could have more talent than anybody else in your school. But you're not going to get that on a standardized test. Yeah, give them a problem to solve. It, yeah, I was horrible at test taking. Uh, there's something called pathways or taking mm-hmm. the SAT. What about those as alternatives to to a standard S, uh, state test? Uh, right. Well, with the pathways, there are different buckets, and it could be work base. It can be community service base. They can get a certain score on the SAT or ACT. So those kind of things. So, and that's towards graduation. And I think it's pro, it is going more to that now. Uh, that, the, ultimately, that's your goal, though, is to graduate the yes, child, right? So yes. if you're, if you can achieve the SAT score or if you can get the buckets for pathways, right. You're, is that the measure, the metric that you need to say, yes, federal government, yes, state government, we're doing our jobs as a school corporation. So, Let's get rid of this high stakes stuff. Yes. Yes. But, uh, you know, and with the high stakes stuff, what about the children that are special needs? You know, why have a child that is not able to tie their shoes have to take these uh, high stakes tests? There's no exemption. No. The schools get a certain... There was, I knew for three percent. There, there was a, another test that they could give those kids, but it was a certain percentage yeah. of their population. And you have a situation like Newcastle, where Newcastle is kind of like the special education hub for those kids. They bring in kids from other schools, and they're mm-hmm. very, they're in that kind of severe and profound. So Newcastle would run out of those before other schools would, because they actually had those an extra. They had that population kind of concentrated in their school. So there was a certain percentage, but it's pretty small. That sounds like the school corporation doesn't have the control. The state's once again pushing down saying, this Mm -hmm. is what you're doing. There is so much that the state has the control of. The school's really the puppet. And the school's really doing the best that they can because they're pooling their resources to get these kids into an area where they can get what they need. But in doing that, then somebody's kind of like they're taking the bullet. 
So yeah. you've got this is where the conversation that Dakota alluded to with with Superintendent of Saunders. But we also have two state senators in, in, in that represent Henry County as well. Uh, which I would I would hope that the school board members have relationships with those elected officials that are making those determinations. Nan Polk is the legislative representative on the school board, and, and she's phenomenal with that. Yeah, hmm. you can have everybody can have the right. Got to have the cell phone numbers. Got to text them. Call the bat phone. Let them know. This is you're killing me. You're killing me. This is why. I don't you know, know. If, the, if people realized, uh, you know, and this is something I learned through the Principals Association, you know, when they are informed of a hot topic, uh, a hot topic is if they've heard from 10 different people. Yep. 10 <laughs> people. Some, so. some very effective legislative uh, lobbying can be done by, by a handful of folks if they're, right. if they're involved. Right. Um, I, I'm involved with Purdue University and the College of Agriculture, and they have a program called P Carrot, where they have five or six activists in each county that mm-hmm. are responsible for having those relationships. And when the issues that come up for that organization matter, they they get in touch, and and usually their things come to the front and get taken care of. Um, setting up a similar organization for for local school boards with with regular citizens probably are um, an, an interesting path, you know a way to get some things changed and done. Like, it sounds like you got some consensus. You know what the problem is. And it sounds like it's the, it's the thumb of stuff running downhill. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're about at the end of our program time and what we, what we planned on doing. This is where we normally get into final thoughts and give everybody a chance to clean up anything they forgot, ask for volunteers. Uh, you're running for office. So I'll tell everybody that these signs weren't free. So they're probably raising money still. Uh, and maybe they'll want to do some direct mailers or get on the radio or do some other stuff. So they're probably collecting money too. So I'm going to shame, uh, shamelessly say that you can connect, uh, connect with these folks and probably help out with their campaigns. Uh, producer Zach over there. You have anything? Look, looking uh, a lot like producer Guffy. Yeah. Producer Guffy appears to have called in a uh, uh, present. Uh, he's yeah, not doing anything, he but he showed up. Um, Were you doing so poorly that he had to come by? I, I, he didn't say anything. I was surprised he wasn't trash talking in the chat. Um, <laughs> I've been through that. That's fun. Um, K Produce, go there for meat, vegetables, pumpkins, donuts, popcorn. Uh, they've got all the stuff going Audrey on. Audrey and there. I went Saturday and got their uh, caramel they've, apples. They have a great selection of pumpkins, though, don't they? And then, yeah, they do. Oh, and then we have to, we have to give the shout-out because uh, Jeremiah's father-in-law <laughs> won a nearly 800-pound pumpkin. <laughs> Yes, a loner pumpkin. They'll come pick it up. It is uh, insane. It's like seven hundred eighty some pounds. He's got a seven hundred eighty pound pumpkin on a pallet in his front yard right now. That mean that he can't do anything with. It's not like he can he pick was, it up and show it off to his friends. He was so excited. He played the video about forty times while he was <laughs> of his name getting drawn. He used all of his winning lottery luck up on that. They, they come and pick it up when it's rotten. I guess. I I don't know how long. I don't know what the almost, shelf life of a pumpkin is. I almost bought tickets to win to try to win it, and then I thought. What about December? They pick it up and deliver it. They it's, it's the so whole long. thing. It's so like a wild. it's like a Christmas tree rental. You get the pumpkin okay. for the season, <laughs> and then it'll go away. So, and I did hear oh, we're going to be out of town this weekend, as seems to be the tradition. But there's some sort of a pet uh, dress up thing going on down there at LNK this weekend too. So you can be super extra and dress up your yeah. dog as something and check out oh the L- check out the LNK Facebook page and go for win. all the happenings. They've got all kinds of stuff going on down there. All right, Mister Forrest, did we forget anything? Well, since Georgina's still here, she didn't plug vote411.org. That's sponsored by the League of Women Voters. <laughs> Flip your mic on for me, Georgina. Uh, yes. 
It's oh, the League. Oh, there we go. It's the League of there. Women Voters sponsors a voters guide that's far more comprehensive that, than IndianaVoters.com. And you can go there and you can find your ballot and know which candidates are on your ballot. And you can also see the interviews that were done with the candidates. And we had about 53%. We invited them all, but we had about 53% of the candidates uh, running in Henry County uh, reply to our inquiry. And you can see their responses there. And it's really, I mean, people need to vote uh, with intention and that they know what they're voting on. Uh, a lot of times people don't like to vote and they don't vote because they're afraid of making mistakes and they haven't, they go, I don't know who to vote for, I don't know. Well, we can help you. You go to, go to vote411.org and it's a, it's a national page uh, voter's guide sponsored by the League of Women Voters. This is our first year of participating. Uh, we will be doing it in the future. Very good. And I, I plug that because if you go and you look at the school board candidates, you'll see our two smiling faces up there. You're in the 53%, eh? Well, we are. Pictures included. Uh, so you can put a face with a name. But uh, as she mentioned, that the information's out there. Become an educated voter. Know who it is that you're not just voting for a name because it's a name that you know and recognize. Uh, so that's the the one thing that, that I bring is I'm much more differentiated than the rest of the board because I don't have a long legacy in Newcastle. I, I grew up in the area down in the corner of the county. Uh, my wife was from here, but I don't have a longstanding history of generations of being in Newcastle and being a product of Newcastle. So as a result of that, I think much differently. Um, so go out, learn who your candidates are. Uh, learn what they stand for, and really vote for that, and vote for the benefit of the kids, not just because it's someone you know. Very good. Jackie? I would say, uh, as Forrest just said, you've got to remember the children first, and uh, not maybe your own personal passions. And that's that's something I think that we've kind of gotten confused on lately. And, uh, and to please go out and vote. Whether you vote for me uh, or Forrest, you vote for vote your conscience, but go out and vote. Uh, I can't stress that enough. It's a privilege we have, and we've got to exercise it. Very good. Mr. Davis. Um, I don't have much this week. Um, we're going to be back on Tuesday doing more school board candidates. Uh, that's a... I'll be another interesting one. This was a good show. I liked. Uh, I you liked had low expectations, but it turns out it was great. Is I didn't have saying? low expectations. <laughs> I was just like, thanks, Dakota. Just, yeah. I didn't have low expectations. It, it's just that the, the we we've done a lot of different candidate shows, so it seems like even year after year, it can seem a little bit like the same thing. The school board was much different than most other ones. It's yeah. an, it's educational to us for sure. No pun intended. Yeah. I don't know. I go for a cheap pun. But I, I think the, the school board races are, are something that, that kind of stays under the radar. If you look around the county, most of them aren't even contested. And here we have five candidates vying for two seats in, in the inside race. So it, it's a little bit abnormal, although you go back to 
2018 and there were four candidates running for for one seat or three candidates for one i, I don't remember four four uh so the, there's a lot of popularity with the inside seats over the last few years but that's certainly not the case around the county yeah, very good it's uh it's important that folks do participate i appreciate both of you for running and uh, Georgina for uh, taking the role that you have with the uh, League of Women Voters. It's awesome. I'm excited to have you guys here. Uh, hopefully, everybody's enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the show. We've uh, been doing this for this is our third election cycle we've gone through with the with the candidate series, and uh, very very happy that uh, folks are coming by and hanging out with us. Uh, and I think uh, I think it's going to be good for the listeners. So, uh, with that, we will see you all on Tuesday of next week. Thank you for listening to the Boss Hog of Liberty, which is part of the We Are Libertarians network. I am Chris Spangle, and I am the founder of this network, and I invite you to listen to all of our shows, which you can find at wearelibertarians.com or by searching for these in your podcatcher. The flagship show is the We Are Libertarians podcast, where we apply libertarian principles to current events. The Brian Nichols Show is a conversation amongst Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents, as they talk about what is happening in the news. And we have many other podcasts like The Chris Spangle Show, Upward, The Cost, Raw Audio Politics, Miranda's World, and Tad Talk, which is quite a ride. So check all of these out. Go to WeAreLibertarians.com and you can check out all of our great podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at WeAreLibertarians.com.